0: Bloody Elbow presents the Level Change Podcast, a combat sports variety show that brings you analysis, fight breakdowns, and insightful discussion of MMA's biggest headlines. Here are your hosts, Steffi Haynes and Victor Rodriguez.
1: Welcome back, and thank you for listening to episode 201 of the Level Change Podcast. I'm Steffi Haynes, and I'm joined, as always by my co-host Victor Rodriguez, and today we'll be looking at Dominic Cruz's latest statements on retirement, Ben Askren's walk down memory lane in the immediate aftermath of the Masvidal knockout, a big fight announcement for women's flyweight, and we'll be previewing select fights from UFC 280. Victor, I gotta get your take on all of this Andrew Tate nonsense going on right now.
2: Uh, well I mean, listen, I don't love it, but I think it's worth dissecting. Certainly something that we need to address and it's something that um I think unfortunately is gonna probably dog Galgermain for another couple of weeks, maybe. But you know, we we have things blow over mighty quick in this uh when it comes to the MMA ecosystem and atmosphere. So this isn't this isn't something that'll probably, you know, follow him for life, but man, it just it just doesn't get any better. You know what I mean? When you you, you can't really Make saints out of out of celebrities in any event, right because you know people will people are people and they will disappoint you in some manner or another, but ugh, yeah it's it's unfortunate. I'd rather focus on more uh unhappier things sometimes to occupy my mind, like Suriname if you've heard of it, it's called narco Saints on netflix it's an amazing Korean series, I think I might have told you about it. it is beautiful, it's only six episodes, short, sweet, amazing, please, pretty, please your sugar on top, make time out of your schedule. You got to check it out. It's really good.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think the um, Al mm-hmm. situation is very unfortunate. I don't understand how he could be there saying, you know, I don't agree with what the guy's saying. And I understand that he was saying a lot of bad things and still defend his his viewpoints uh, to some degree. I, I understand his initial tweet. The wording was off. But still I, I just I have a hard time with it. You know, that <clears> saying, <throat> never meet your heroes. Never meet your favorite UFC fighters either.
2: If if I happen to be your hero, your standards are low, but but if you have edibles, yes, please meet me. You know, <laughs> it, it, for your for your for your own uh uh edification and, and growth. Just just yeah, we'll we'll leave it at that. We'll write that down. Yeah, that's a good one. Meet me, sure. Why not? <laughs>
1: All right. Well, anyways, we're going to leave that unfortunate topic in the dust, and we are going to move forward and talk about Dominic Cruz. Now, the former UFC bantamweight champion appeared on Wednesday's MMA Hour and shot down the idea of retirement despite a brutal knockout in his last fight against Marlon Vera. I'm going to quote from the interview now. I'm here, yeah, what do you mean? Right now, it's been a month and a half, I'm running again, I've been lifting, getting the body strong, I'm still top 10 level. I don't look at myself after that loss and go, I'm not there anymore. I do the opposite. All right, speed's still there, power's still there, all this stuff's still there. We've just got to tighten up some defense. You either retire or you lose, and those are your choices. I think a lot of people who, who retire, they didn't lose because they, they retired. You can just keep going. But there's a point where you're just going to stack up too many losses because you're not there anymore. I don't really look at my last fight and go, ah, oh, you're not really at that level. These guys are just outclassing you. It wasn't really that. So just take my team fix the fundamentals and take it a day at a time, get my body strong and just train and love training again. So that loss snapped a two fight winning streak that he'd built up. And now at 37, the San Diego native has been at the top level of MMA in multiple promotions for a long, long time. So of course people are going to call him out Most recently, Jonathan Martinez. And when asked about that call out, because he was was right at the broadcast table, his reaction was this. What a sweetheart of a fucking guy. Let's be honest. The nicest guy on earth calling me out. And it makes sense. Do you want to fight a guy that's got 300 followers and is lethal? Or do you want to fight a guy who's been doing this for a long time and is also lethal, but either way, you're facing two dangerous guys, but one guy is a former champ. One guy is nasty and not a former champ. Who are you going to call out? People are going to keep calling me out. I understand that. I can't knock him. All I can do is there with my microphone in my suit, go, thank you. I appreciate the call out respect. What are you supposed to say? Be mad? It's a business. I get it. It's a business move and it's a little weird when you're standing there. Uh, Right now, Cruz cares most about getting himself back into shape and not overtaxing his body on the road with the UFC and rebuilding the parts of his game that make him into a well-rounded threat. His mindset hasn't changed. He is part of the fight game inside and out and hasn't let it go. And I quote, I'm a fan of the sport. I'm a fan of TJ Dillashaw. I'm a fan of Aljamain Sterling. I'm a fan of all these guys, Piotr Yarn, Sean O'Malley. So to get to call their fights, to compete against them, it's so cool. I'm still here. I'm still competing. Okay. Well, I love what he's saying there. I love the spirit and, I actually agree with him. He is still top 10. He's still doing well against the best competition. I don't know if it's just a matter of tightening of defense. I I do feel that Dom has lost his step for sure. You know, reflexes a little slower, speed a little slower, but he still has the fight IQ. I can say that. He still makes in-fight adjustments that, that benefit him. He just is fighting father time. But I do feel like he definitely has uh, a place in the top 10 still, or at the very least in the top 15.
2: Yeah. I mean, the thing with with guys like Cruz, right, it's really, really tough to stay um, – I don't want to say relevant, right, but it's really tough to stay competitive at a elite level in the lower weight classes because, you know, you you have – your speed and your athleticism that need to be on par with the rest of the group. Right. And look, losing to Marlon Vera is not a bad thing. Marlon Vera has shown that he's a very, very tough dude. He certainly looked like uh, a very improved fighter and a uh, potential um, title contender. He stumbled against Aldo, but that's Aldo. I mean, even late stage Aldo. Right. So, so losing to Marlon is, um, uh, it's it's not the end of the world it's not the worst thing they can certainly have a rematch and maybe be uh have a closer bout in the um in in the event that that were to happen but he's not washed in the way that you would say like okay that guy needs to quit and retire cuz he's not getting any likes in he's not he's not doing any um He's not showing any of the keys that you need to see for someone who's like, okay, this dude can still tread water and do well at a high level. He's still shown that he can do that despite his age, despite his limitations and his setbacks due to injury, which have been probably, and he's probably the most snake bit man in MMA, uh, or at least the worst hit due to the plague of injuries. So uh, knowing that and, and keeping all of these things in consideration, you do feel kind of bad. You know, he had a lot of time taken from him, but it is messed up to see him lose the way that he did and in, in that, uh, his fight, his last outing, but he's still someone who can bounce back. He's still got, despite the miles on his body, he's, he's able to, um, stay fresh and he's, he's someone who takes very good care of his body to a degree. You know, he's not, he's not a guy who's out there uh, drinking and, and partying and being irresponsible, you know, in terms of being an athlete he's a very dedicated guy to the point of near obsession. So, um, All this stuff has been well-documented and well-known for many years. And um, I don't see any reason for him necessarily to retire now. What I would be a little more concerned with is him saying like, and I'm going to get that belt right now, you know, in the next two fights. Like, okay, now we got to pump the brakes, buddy. Like now we probably – you got to be a little bit more realistic about a situation. I don't see anything here that he said that wasn't that. I don't see anything that wasn't grounded in a – you know, with with a good foundation, a good basis as to where he stands and what he needs to do. He had a rough loss. Everybody suffers losses in MMA, except for Khabib, of course. But even in that case, everybody takes their legs. Everybody gets bumped back a bit or, you know, faces some very, very uh, rough adversity. And so for him to say that, look, I had a rough one, but it's okay. I'm going to stick around. I have no real reason to leave. I think that's perfectly fine. And frankly, I'm a little bothered by the fact that there are people that, that Disagree, in in the way that they disagree, right? In the manner, like, no, he's done. He needs to leave now. Like, there's a few voices like that, but I've seen some vocal, um, you know, some some loud mouths out here kind of going with that. And fandom can be split in many ways. I understand that nothing will ever be unanimous, but it's kind of like, dude, how are we not seeing the same thing here? You know, he's he's still got some fight in him. He's not out there getting embarrassed against people that have less and less or lower and lower bars of entry and and quality. Uh, it's not like he's losing to lower-level opposition all of a sudden. He's not going out there like Hinn and brow, So, sure, let him stick around. If this is what makes him happy, he's still putting in uh, decent performances, and he's still able to hang with elite-level guys, and that still makes him a at least somewhat elite-level guy, and you can't knock that. So, good.
1: This part did give me a little bit of pause, and it's his view of how the fight with Vera went. Also, it came down to um, what he thinks he might need to change after that fight, you know, in his skill set. And I'm going to quote here. He said, I think I change nothing. I can't change anything. That's who I am. My hand was even up when I got caught. I was defending myself. But this is a game of inches. I hit him and I was winning for three rounds and I could have dropped him any of those times he could have dropped me any of those times it happened when it happened when you look at the analysis all you can do is make your own adjustments and control the controllables i can't control the uncontrollables and the uncontrollables are the other person so i focus on me and fundamentals is something i can add just add a little bit more for a longer pace It was a nice read and that's how it goes. I've made nice reads and embarrassed people. And that's happened to me now too. I hate when I read stuff that says I changed nothing. I'm just fine. I don't need to make any adjustments. I'm just fine. He was dropped three times. I mean, they had to step in there because it was so brutal.
2: He, he literally said that he thought he was winning the fight. Um, (laughs) That's that's where I'm a little, you know, like, okay. And I, I know what I said as far as, you know, his position and his career. I, I stand by that in terms of because what I was referring to is like his position in the division and in the grand scope of things. But as it comes to reflecting on this one singular fight, no, baby. No, we don't need to do this. Come on. Like, that's not... I don't know by what metric you would imagine that he was winning. Was he out striking or outlanding Vera at any point? I don't yes, think he was. He was. He was. He was. Uh-huh, he yeah, was. but that's not. That's not. Does that? Does that outweigh getting dropped that many times? Right. I. I don't think that it would. And sure, we didn't see it go to a decision, so we're not disputing. Well, you know, now we're going to get into this. 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 This whole. Uh, gray area of that that's entirely hypothetical of what would have happened or what could have potentially taken place had this gone to its conclusion through the totality of the three rounds and gone to the judge's decision and that's kind of that's a very tricky landscape to navigate because you can't really know you know what i mean like maybe he could have turned up the heat a little late done some damage and submitted or knocked out Vera or whatever like uh, buddy listen facts is facts all right Whether or not you were winning now becomes immaterial because you got finished. You understand? It's not like you're disputing a decision. I can, I can understand and respect that. But when you get, when you get dropped more than once, did he ever drop Marlon in that fight? I don't remember him doing that. He
1: did not. And here's, here's where he's talking about analysis. Let me give you the stats real quick. Yeah. Okay. He did outstrike him, but the percentages were actually in Marlon Vera's favor because he didn't go crazy with his strikes. See. Dom, if we remember, was getting quite gassed, but in those rounds, he threw 249 strikes. He landed 92 of them for 36%. Mm-hmm. Um, Marlon Vera only threw 156, but he landed 61 of them as well as three knockdowns. Now, one thing that Dom Cruz did do was there in the beginning, he, he in the first round, he scored two quick takedowns, but Vera made the quick adjustment to that, and despite going for five more, he never landed any of those five. So he was only two for seven on his takedowns, and that happened very quickly in the first round. So.
2: Yep, 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 yep. Nope, that's not, no, let's not do that that yeah, like, let's not entertain that it's, that's the thing that bugs me man like you know you have somebody who's such a such a smart mind for mma so good at understanding and explaining what other people are doing and even though yes i understand some of his commentary is not um at 100 um he does say certain things and think about things i feel uh come from the perspective of what he would like to see as opposed to what the um realities of the capacity that certain fighters have to do other things um I, I yeah there's a very heavy bias in some of the stuff he does not enough not so much to the point where i would say oh my god i hate hearing this guy when he does commentary sometimes it's you know and maybe it's maybe i'm looking at this a little differently because i rarely have commentary on i rarely have the volume on when i'm watching uh fights because it just it, it no I, I i'd really much rather not but um Maybe that's maybe that's what's leading me to this idea, this conclusion that he's not, um, you know, he's he's not a dumb guy. He knows he's obviously gotten to where he is by being smart and fighting smart. And he knows what he's doing and he knows what he's watching most of the time. But this this is this is a little odd because it's like, okay, now this is this goes beyond your standard bias of like, well, you know, I was doing great. Now, the sort of upsell deal of trying to um, ensure that that you Uh, have a good image walking out of this because you suffered a pretty brutal loss but still man come on that's no don't do that (laughs) well folks we're actually going to pivot to something really amusing to me someone who says things and acts in a manner that imply that he doesn't read much and he's releasing a book Uh, I know that could apply to a lot of people in the MMA space, but no, I promise you, this is actually a good one. It's Ben Askren. Yes, indeed, Ben Askren, with the phenomenally titled Funky, My Defiant Path Through the Wild World of Combat Sports. It's going to be dropping later on this month. I believe it's next week, actually, the uh, 25th. And uh, he was on the MMA Hour to discuss a couple of things, namely in uh, service of promoting the upcoming book, which, good God, I mean, I could only hope has to be better than the Matt Hughes book. Anything has to be better <laughs> than the Matthews Hughes book. But uh, they addressed most, uh, one of the perhaps biggest moments of Askren's career for the wrong reasons. And that was the phenomenal and immortal knockout that he suffered at the hands of Jorge Masvidal. Uh, As- <laughs> Askren believes that he should be appreciated for the role that he played in that because of the manner in which this elevated Masvidal. And it's kind of hard to find fault with that, right? I mean, earlier in that year it was the Darren Till knockout, and then Jorge cemented himself and went viral and had the absolute apex, what is unquestionably the highest of highs of his entire career. So this is what how this exchange went. Quote, Journeyman Bum Masvilad became one of the biggest stars in the game. You're welcome, Jorge. If he doesn't, he's an ungrateful son of a bitch. How about that? He needs to send me a Christmas card every year for the next twenty years. But legit, if he doesn't, he's ungrateful. But he prob no, but he probably doesn't want to give me credit for anything. So suck it, Jorge. Okay, sure, great. I mean, Look, 20 years. Really? I mean, he should be doing this forever. He should posthumously be sending like if one of regardless of who dies first, there should be an automated service that sends those Christmas cards regardless. They should be like, you know, including little photos of them at Christmas dressed up as Santa or whatever. I mean, they, they, they're really I think it would be nice if they just became pen pals. That doesn't seem like it's in the cards for any of this, but. It goes on a little further and he discusses exactly what happened in the immediate aftermath of that knockout, which I don't think he's discussed ever before, at least not on as big a platform as this. Quote, my first recollection, there was, this is hilarious, I sit up and I see Luke Rockhold, and I'm like, fuck, that's Luke Rockhold. That means I'm in the hospital. (laughs) That was what I thought, because I knew he already got knocked out by Jan Blakovich. And I sit up and I'm like, what's Luke Rockhold doing here? Fuck, I'm in the hospital. And when I look, I saw my wife was over here, so I'm like, What happened? And she's like, it wasn't good. I'm not sweaty. I could feel I'm not sweaty at all. I'm not sore. I didn't hurt at all. So I'm like, I must not have been in a hard fight or nothing. I kind of knew that. This kind of reminds me of something really amazing that happened in a Bellator fight a couple of years ago, where a fighter got knocked out. He immediately wakes up and asks his coach what happened. And his coach very calmly stood him up, put his hands on the guy's shoulder and said, If you have to ask what happened, that was it. I mean, you know, like that's the game. That's what kind of ends up taking place. The power of deduction is not something that immediately returns to the mental faculties of someone who has been dispatched to the land of wind and ghosts. And so, you know, yeah, Ben was reaching for it and he eventually got there, but he needed a little help. But that's kind of what ended up happening there, right? I mean, he just sort of uh, pieced the whole thing together and said, yeah, okay, I I think I'm in the bad place now. I mean, grand opening, grand closing. The fight didn't really need too many exchanges. It wasn't drawn out. It wasn't a a five star, five round classic. No, it was quick, over and done with. And he found that spot. But I want to ask you something. What do you make of A, the way he handled that situation at the time and B, how cavalier he is about all of this these days?
1: I think it was hilarious. You know, Ben always seems to me like he's he's trolling a little bit. The, the way that he, he posited the whole thing with uh, Jorge owes him for the way his career skyrocketed. I think that's funny as shit. Ben has great comic timing. I don't like all his views or anything like that, but when he gives an interview... He knows how to give an interview. It's kind of a shame that he didn't get as big as he could have, and it's probably because of the the style that he fights. you know. I couldn't help but laugh at this, especially when he talked about being in the hospital and fuck yeah. <laughs> Rockles, i mean here, that's that's that must what that would happen I'm in the right? hospital. <laughs>
2: that's oh. kind of what ends up happening mean it's like hey you you saw what happened earlier like oh yeah no that's not good <laughs> <laughs> that
1: is
2: really, really i mean good. i suppose that's kind of what would happen the, the funny thing is it's kind of what i would imagine a lot of people that i know would probably come up with that but then again i hang with a special class of degenerate that have a different relationship to reality and yeah look askrin I mean, this guy was he was he was stupid enough to put a down payment on the Cybertruck. I mean, and this is after the glass breaking debacle. I mean, that that should tell you a lot. His views are absolutely terrible. But listen, we are all products of our experiences and our environment. So, like, sometimes you can't really get too mad at people for having trash takes. Um, It is what it is with him, I guess. And, uh, you know, look, this is a pretty grown up way of handling it. He's seen what's going on, and, and, and uh, he seems like he's moved forward in some significant fashion to the point where this isn't a burden for him. This isn't something that he's going to be hanging on to with resentment, demanding uh, a rematch. Like, look at Tony Ferguson with Khabib. He's still making tiramisu jokes. He's still calling him fat. He's still demanding a fight with the guy. Guy, it's not going to happen. you got to let sh- certain things, as a man, when you're grown— You learn and you realize you got to let things go or else they start to weigh on you. This creates a mental hernia that you're not going to get rid of. You got to learn, man. You got to learn. And so I'm glad that Ben at least has realized that.
1: Yeah, because, you know, look at Jorge Masvidal, the perfect example right now out here demanding a title shot when he's on a three or four fight losing streak.
2: Right. Mm-hmm, yeah, three. Yeah. And, and and getting hilariously dusted in one of them in a very definitive manner. And you can say, well, yeah, that was against the champion or whatever. Like we discussed this recently, too. But still, man, still, come on. Don't you know where you stand? Like like Eugene says, right? You must forgot where you are right now. You know, it, it just doesn't work that way.
1: That's right. Now we are going to move on with a pretty big fight announcement UFC 283, which is happening in Rio de Janeiro, might not have Jose Aldo on the card, but they are going to have Jessica Andrade. I love that. I love my little chieftess. She will
2: be taking
1: on Lauren Murphy. And that is a fight right there because you know what say whatever you want lauren murphy is tough as nails and yes i understand that valentina took care of business with her pretty pretty handily but jessica andrage i think that she has a pretty pretty good chance of getting to the end of the fight i'm not going to say that she has a, a great chance of winning the fight because i don't care how much bigger she might end up being than Jessica Andrade. Uh, My Little Chief is is a power pellet. She won't be overpowering Jessica. I don't know that uh, Jessica will knock her out. She could, though. Absolutely. She's got a one-hitter-quitter on her. I kind of see this one maybe going to the cards, because Lauren Murphy is tough, but I definitely have Jessica taking the taking the win here and and it absolutely could end in a knockout too i just don't think it'll be lauren murphy getting that knockout but it's a great fight i like it
2: it is an excellent fight because you have two people that absolutely deserve to be in that spot um this could be a title eliminator potentially and they can both crack Mm -hmm. they can both hit really really hard now obviously I would imagine that Jessica would have to be the favorite, and not by a small margin, but that's not enough for me to discount Lauren Murphy because I've made that mistake in the past. Mm-hmm. And I've been a fan of her since Invicta. i've I've been uh, aware of her career and her trajectory uh, because of everything that was happening during the time, during the in the lead-up to uh, her joining Invicta, where, you know, she had a ton of hardships. Uh, going on in her personal life and she made it happen man she made it to the top there and now she is trying to make it to the top in the UFC and she's had a really lovely late resurgence that has been a pleasure to see it's been really uh um, not just amusing but it's been really heartwarming to see somebody that a lot of people have counted out go out there make the most of the opportunities that are presented and then just put on some really um Really, really good and really fun performances. So you can't really <laughs> you can't see something like this. It, it reminds me in a way sort of like Mark Hunt. You know, Mark Hunt was coming. In, he came into the UFC. They didn't even want him. They tried to buy out his contract. He says, no, I want to fight it out. They didn't like him. They put him in some matches that, you know, it clearly were not to uh, his advantage at first. And he managed to make things so good. He ended up fighting for a title. He ended up being a crowd favorite. And even now, even outside of the UFC, he's got the kind of notoriety and love that that a lot of people wish they had. And, uh, you know, I I think Lauren... Not quite there in terms of popularity, but if you do enjoy watching her fight and if you do like seeing these turnarounds and comebacks and and, um, people really sort of – these underdogs coming out on top, I don't know how you can't love the the, the whole Lauren Murphy story. I'm I'm really happy that she was able to – make all the changes but in her life and, and make the move to Arizona, get right with Crouch and them and, and start to uh make this this amazing run that she's been on. And uh yeah, you can say what you want about the division. You can complain about, you know, it being shallow or whatever. Uh you know, the the talent pool and whatnot. But look she wins against Andraj. You are undeniable at that point if this happens. How can you not believe that she is absolutely not just for real, but someone who should be fighting for the title, even if, again, you're talking about fighting somebody that is far and away ahead of the pack? I mean, th- that's just, that's madness.
1: Not to mention the way she absolutely dismantled Misha Tate in her last fight. I mean, she looked phenomenal. And to your point about people complaining about the depth of this division it has been beefing up there's uh it's a much better division than when it where it was 18 months ago for sure it's beefed up considerably and you can actually look at this and and parse out good fights to on the way to the title you know to to set these ladies up in the top 15 on the way to the title and not have to worry about exhausting the entire division to make those fights now we have plenty of girls in the division so i'm liking that a lot and i'm liking the diversity of the fights we're getting to see too you know it's not just the same once fighting over and over and over. Now, I realize the same person sitting at the top of the of the heap is an incredibly dominant champion in Valentina. But, I mean, I think that's special, you know, to have that a is, champ like that. You that, know? Is, that yeah. To have a, a female Johnny Jones type, you know, she is dominant. There's no two yeah. ways about it. So I think that's special. I don't care what anybody else thinks of that. Uh, I think it's great, and there are some really good girls in this division too. Lauren Murphy and Jessica Andrade being prime examples.
2: And you know who's to say that with a win here, Lauren can't turn things around and potentially in a rematch with Valentina make certain inroads that could lead to something. Look, weirder things have happened. Julieta Pena was such an underdog to Julia to um, to Amanda Nunes in the first fight but it happened and she won that one fair and square. You can't really uh you know take anything away from that. And you might see something like that happen here. Like I don't think it's entirely out of the question nor is it an absurd thing to believe. So um despite the fact that she lost very decisively against Valentina last year, that was um uh, that was still a very um that was still that, that's still something that that could potentially, with a good showing here, could lead to something. And as for Andrade, man, listen, you've seen what this woman can do, you know. And she lost to uh, Valentina as well. But I I don't see her as somebody that fights dumb. She can make adjustments as well. These two still have a chance. They're still you know within. Um, what would be considered, I guess, the, their their peak. You know, I don't think they've they've suffered any serious decline yet. I don't know. Either one of these is a good combo.
1: One last note: UFC 283 is expected to feature a fourth bout between flyweight champion <laughs> Davison Figueroa and ex-champion Brandon Moreno, who are one one and one in a trio of bouts. I'm really liking the way that card is coming together for sure, and this fight added to it. Chef's kiss. I love that.
2: <laughs> this I is know. a proper pay per view. Yeah, it really is. Like this is this is the kind of card that you're like, you know what? I I don't like having to pay this much money, but you know, at least I'm getting something. You know, you're not getting a, a heavyweight stinker between two fat dudes that are going to gas out in 48 seconds.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right. Now, before we get to our UFC 280 picks, we are going to take a quick walk down memory lane and check out how we did last week. And Victor ran the table. Now, we did pick five fights, but unfortunately, the Askar Askarov fight was uh, knocked off of the car due to an illness. So uh, we only have four picks here. Victor, you made the difference by going with Jacob Malkoon. And when we were discussing the fight, you were really, really on the fence about it. You know, you were back and forth a little tiny bit. And in the end, you were like, ah, oh, screw it. I'll just take Jacob Malkoon. I think he's got a bit more there. <laughs> and you were right. Yeah. And, and yeah. you know what? I said that Maximoff... This was his chance. This was his last chance I was giving him because I'd given him a chance the first time. Now this is two times. I'm not giving him a third to burn me again.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, I I, want to see him. I want to see him not only get another shot in the UFC, but hopefully maybe take a step back and like kind of, you know, sort of of get his focus and everything, get his legs under him because I I really do think that the UFC has something interesting and special with him. It's just, you know, look... fighters mature at different rates and at different levels and at different times. And maybe that's what's going on here. You know, he's just, he's just sort of getting his feet wet in certain ways. And again, as we mentioned on the uh, previous show in the week, you know, we, we saw that he seemed to have had something wrong with his legs. So, um, I yeah, I, I, I don't want to be, I don't want to look at him as a gift necessarily. I think it's way too early for that, but, um, Hey, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, I'm still, Kind of saddened by how that whole deal went with the, with the potential injury, but happy for Jacob though, man. Jacob really, uh, you know, he he's also someone who's been sharpening his tools and looking a little better. So good.
1: Well, what I mean is that uh, he don't get a he don't get a third chance to burn me in that I won't pick him again until I see something much better. Oh yeah,
2: yeah. No, also, I, I totally understand him. He's a gift to you.
1: Yes, not a gift yes. yet, but he's definitely right. a gift right now. Also, have you noticed that every time a guy comes out of that Diaz camp with a bunch of hype, they don't deliver?
2: I think that remember you know, Chris there's Avila? there's there's Yeah, Chris I Avila mean, was like yeah, and I think I remember Zayn making this point ages ago where it was like he looks like he's trying to emulate the Diaz brother style, but he doesn't have quite the um intangibles and not not even that that's probably not a good term he doesn't he doesn't have some of the things uh some of the tools that you need when that style doesn't quite work you know when when that wide-legged uh you know just boxing forward not checking leg kick thing that's not that's not a super productive thing sometimes and i think that there's just a certain expectation that these guys are going to fight like their mentors and I don't know. I don't know how they really set up. I don't know how they're organized. I don't know who's coaching there, how they do it. I, I can't really speak to that. But it is kind of unfortunate that you don't really see anybody under their, um, under their umbrella doing as well as perhaps you might want them to do.
1: Yeah, for sure. So we all picked Mana Martinez and Jonathan Martinez and Alexa Grasso. So that put Victor at 4-0 and, oh, and Mookie and I at 3-1 and one for the week. So, the updated standings. Mookie in the lead still 115, 67 and three. I'm behind him by four. I'm at 111, 71 and three. And you were behind me by eight. You are 103, 79 and three. So, we've got an excellent fight card this week i mean it's oh, good this is i feel oh, like God. i've been waiting for this card for a hundred years <laughs> so uh in the interest of time though we're only going to pick the main card and the featured prelim so first up Bilal muhammad taking on sean brady
2: Oh, uh, I, look, I, as much as I love Sean Brady, I can't pick him on this one, man. I, I just I don't think that Muhammad is he's got too many good things going on for me to say that at this point. I don't I don't know that Brady's quite there yet in his development. And it comes to putting together his co- his combinations, breaking past the distance game, the range game that Bilal can employ Um I don't know that his wrestling is going to be enough to be able to take Bilal down and keep him down. I think that's going to really be the big key because Bilal's under, his, his wrestling defense is uh, underrated and the guy can take a hit too. So, mm, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it because Brady is very, very capable of winning this. I just don't see it.
1: I'm taking Brady. <laughs> I'm I'm definitely taking this as a gut pick. We'll just say that. I don't know what's making me feel like Brady's going to take this other than the fact that he manages to get himself out of sticky situations and it seems pretty easy for him. He has wonderful fight IQ and he makes really good split second decisions too. So I feel like if Muhammad puts him in any kind of danger, he's going to find a way out. He, he, has the tools and the skill to get this done. Now, Mookie is taking Bilal Muhammad along with him. Hey. So there you that's, go. That's a sure sign. I'm gonna I'm gonna shit the bed on that pick. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, stop! Come on, you pulled you you thought that before, and then your guy wins, and it's like, bah, see, Mama pulled out the yapper. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> you 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 might just be onto something here. So don't don't get you need to give yourself a lot more credit than that.
1: All right, so next up, Caitlin Chukajian taking on Manon rope. I like this fight a lot because this is an excellent test for Manon Fero because she is climbing up the ranks pretty quickly. But yes. Caitlin Chukajian is a very serious test for anyone wanting to get into that inner sanctum of the top five. Man, she's going to be a tough test. I think that Caitlyn Chikaijin kind of gets a bad rap because she's only lost to the very top of the heat. You know, she's, she's only losing to the, the creme de la creme of this division. Uh, but Manon Fero is looking like that. She definitely is looking like that. Her striking is ooh, everything. And she's a powerful girl, too. So bearing all of that in mind, I think that Manon Theo has enough power in all facets of, of her game to overtake Caitlin Shukeji. And I'm not sure if it's going to be a finish, but I think she's going to win this fight. Mookie has also taken Manon Theo. So Victor, how are you looking at this fight?
2: Well, you better move over and make room in the backseat of that car because I'm sitting in it too. Man on Fierro. Two, two, let's go, honk honk, let's drive. Uh Chukagian is a very talented technical fighter, very snappy with her attacks, very good at finding a particular groove and rhythm and making sure that she can switch it up when her opponent starts catching on. Problem is Fierro is very good at, you know, the, doing the um not your usual bum rush. She's good at stunning you for a second, you know, catching you off, uh, off your, on your back foot, and then immediately pressing forward with the movement. Now, she's not someone who fights stupid. She's not just going to run forward and throw punches like Wanderlei knocking out Vitor. This is not what we're talking about. We're talking about somebody who's also primarily a striker, who's also cut her teeth on the international amateur scene, and has had much more ring time than her professional record would indicate. Now... I have to mention that because it shows that she's been able to use and and maximize her fight IQ or FIQ as my friend Eddie Mercado would say. Happy birthday Eddie. Uh this is this is someone who is um this is someone who's really really good at doing big damage in short bursts but then also knowing when to back off and pick her shots to make sure that when she does go for the finish it's a good one. It's it's you better put that thing in the bag. And I, this is probably I think maybe the hardest hitter outside of Valentina that Kagan's faced. Um, I I don't know how else he's going to do with that, because you is good at battering people everywhere, you know, to the legs, to the body, to the head. And um, I I don't. I don't know that she's someone who's going to run out of options. I don't know that she's someone who's going to be able to fall for the kind of trickery that Chikagi can employ. I don't think this is going to spend much time on the ground. I don't know who I'd even favor if this were to go to the ground, because Caitlin is actually um, not as bad a grappler as some people seem to think. I don't think she's up there in the elite in terms of her grappling, but she's pretty good. She can hold her own. And uh, that's still kind of, I, I just still feel like Menon is, she's on the hot streak. She's doing a lot of things. Well, she seems to be coached well. And, um, yeah, I, I think she's going to break through
1: next up. We get to Benil Dariush taking on Mateus Gamrot. This is a great fight. I mean, yes. Uh, I'm taking Mateus Gamrot here because what is the kryptonite of a good BJJ game, an outstanding wrestling game. And that's what we have here. Mateus is looking like the real deal and is on the come up. And I think Benil Dariush, while spectacular, might have already experienced his prime. Not sure yet. We'll see. I mean, he beats Mateus Gamrot. Let him be the next title challenger.
2: You know what? Here's my thing, right? I want to add something to what you just said. And it's not just that Gamrod is a good wrestler. It's the fact that he is a a good submission grappler, too. Mm-hmm. So any advantage that Darius will have or any 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 of, you know, th- as good as his grappling acumen is in terms of submissions and being scrambling and all that, like Gamrod can do that, too. Yeah. And he has really been putting in work. You know, the time that he spent at American Top Team, for example, the time that he spent in his native Poland. This guy is not a slouch. He's moving around and making things work for him, and adding tools to his um, to to his arsenal. And I wanted to pick Darius at first, but it's like, look, Darius could end and finish this with you know, a flying knee or catch him with a knockout out of nowhere. But I don't know that Gamrat is Gamrat doesn't fight dumb he's he's good at knowing when to stick around and when not. And Darius is way too content to let guys land on him and try to truck through. And that's the problem. You try to play tank at some point, you're going to find that one mortar shell that's going to drop you. And I kind of feel like maybe Gamrat might be close to that. I don't know. I'm not saying he's going to knock him out, but you start doing enough damage for long enough, well, what do you think is going to happen? It's not going to go great. And I kind of feel like that complacency, to neglect that, that neglect of defense that he seems to have every once in a while, I think that's going to cost him in this one.
1: So you're going with Gamrod too?
2: I am going with Gamrod as well.
1: Awesome. Well, Mookie is going to go with Benil Dariush. So next up, we get to, my gosh, this card is so fire. Piotr Jan taking on Sean O'Malley. For me, this is an easy choice. I think it's going to be Piotr Jan. I think it's going to be nasty. He has the cardio. I, I'm sure Sean O'Malley has good cardio too. But Kyoto Jan's cardio seems to be, like, otherworldly. Like, he can keep a pace from round one all the way to the, the, the final horn of round five. And keeping that pace, he's going full speed the whole time. I mean, it's otherworldly cardio, in my opinion. But beyond that, he's got heavy, heavy hands, just like Sean O'Malley does. But he can take a punch. I'm not so sure that Sean O'Malley is going to be able to take the the absolute hammers that Piorion is going to lay down on him. Now, I'm not saying that Sean O'Malley can't get this done because he can. Anything can happen. I just think that the chances are a lot slimmer for him than they are for Piorion. So I am taking him as well as Mookie is taking him too.
2: You know what? I, I want to actually. Uh, quickly shout out Miguel class. He's on Twitter. He's a uh, writer for one of our, I guess I, I, I consider them a friend site, uh, the fight site. He's uh, he's an analyst there. Uh, he's been, he made an extraordinary, uh, contribution this week, breaking down the game of Sean O'Malley, all the things that he does well and all the things, all of his faults really, um, and one of the things that people kind of think or people assume about O'Malley, and this is something that bothered me, I'm glad he brought this up because I was wondering if it was, I, I was wondering if I was wrong, or if I was maybe seeing things. He expanded on it, and it was that O'Malley is not a great counter puncher. You know, he's not he's not as devastating a counter puncher. He'll hit you on the way out. He's good at punishing you, but not as much to be like put that kill shot. His kill shots are with the feints and the hand traps. And I kind of think that P- Petryan is is evolved enough and advanced enough to not let that be something that'll distract him. And absent the wrestling threat that someone like, say, Aljamain Sterling might pose, I don't know that, um, I don't know that, that Jan has that many obstacles. Sure. He's going to have to contend with the reach and the shifting and the way that O'Malley uh, finds those combinations, draws a guy in, but then finds a way to pivot, move sideways and uses his head movement. Um, I, I just don't, I don't really see that. Jan still has his grappling as well. Uh, he is capable of doing a lot of damage. He is still one of the top guys there for a good reason. And I do agree with Dana White's assessment that a win here for O'Malley could elevate him not just to superstardom but potentially next in line for a belt. I would say that that, that is a very fair and, um, and perhaps a very good decision because, I mean, sure, like what else does a guy like that have to do? But um, I – I don't, I don't, I still don't like his chances on that, man. I, I still think that it's a, it's still, I think it's a much more winnable fight for O'Malley than most people realize. I don't Don't get me wrong here. I, I do think that he does have not just the power, but the, 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 um, the cardio and and the smarts to get ahead but i also got to worry about how injury prone he is you know he's a guy that can really be hurt by whatever fluke and and jan is not going to go easy on him with that so you also got to factor in the fact that uh, jan is you know he's he's, he's training at tiger tie as well he's hungry he wants to get back to that championship level and he is very much annoyed by this guy in front of him so he's going to make sure that he does whatever he can to um to to play this the right way and not let emotions get the the best of him as he did in the uh, Sterling rematch. So I think this is going to be, um, it's certainly going to be a very compelling matchup from a technical standpoint, but I think ultimately Jan probably has a few more options.
1: The other thing too is that while Jan's not one of those guys that insanely focuses on the body, which I wish people would focus on the body more, spend more time there, He does go to the body, and when he does, he hits like hammers. Yeah. Um, And one thing that I've noticed about Sean O'Malley is he doesn't typically go to the body a whole heck of a lot. He's a bit of a headhunter. So that also might make a a tremendous difference in this fight. Yeah. All right. We are getting along here to the co-main event. Aljamain Sterling taking on TJ Dillashaw. I got to take Sterling, though. I think I think the wrestling uh, is going to be the big key here. But Aljamain Sterling, his striking has come to a point where that he's good enough with his striking to keep guys away from him, to keep them from landing on him, but also to set up his excellent wrestling. He's so good at it. He's got great fight IQ. And... You know, set aside all of the stuff from this past week and just look at this as a fight. And I can't see a way to pick TJ Dillashaw in this. I know TJ Dillashaw has great power, but Aljo seems, first of all, his chin seems to be uh, a little more durable than it was in the past. And he's also learned how to duck and move and do everything to keep those big hammers from coming in so yeah you know it's it's got to be sterling for me and and mookie is also taking out sterling so
2: you know you know what bugs me about this is i keep thinking back to how um how cody um Oh, my God. How am I blanking on his name right now? Garbrandt. Cody, Cody, Garbrandt. no love. Yeah, Cody Garbrandt. Garbrandt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Cody Garbrandt, how he was able to impressively put away Dominic Cruz. And when he fought TJ in the lead up, it was like, well, shoot, if he did that to if he did that to Dominic, you know, he did that to one of the best movers and shakers in the game. And he was able to play that game against him. Well, how is he going to be TJ? And TJ employed superior movement and economy of motion and just, you know, he he sent him packing. I kind of wonder if that's something that's going to be potentially at play here. I don't know that Sterling's wrestling alone is going to be what he needs. And I kind of feel he might be deficient in the striking department um, to a level where, he's probably going to start falling behind. So like, I want to pick Sterling, but I'm kind of starting to lean TJ in the last 24 hours. I'm like, Sterling probably got to, I hate picking this kind of fight because it's, it's, you know, it, this is the best fights. Usually the worst ones to pick for that reason. Um, I think I'm going to go with TJ on this one. I think he's got more options standing and more ways to fluster Sterling. And then on top of that, not be as, um, not suffer so much against the wrestling that Sterling employs.
1: Islam Makachev, Charles Oliveira. What a And I'm taking Charles mm. Oliveira. There's no way I could pick any other way. I'm a huge fan. I'm totally picking with my heart here. I know a lot of people are out there thinking that Makachev's wrestling is going to be the key here, but I think it's going to come down to the striking in Oliveira has a one-hitter-quitter of his own. And Oliveira's chin is pretty tough, too. He gets dropped a lot, but boy, does he pop right back up and overcome. I love it. I think this is going to be an outstanding fight. But I am taking Olivera And Mookie is as well.
2: You know, let me tell you something. I am old, Okay. <laughs> I'm going, to, I'm going to bring up an, a, a piece of my childhood right here, so a show that I should not have been watching under any circumstances at that age, Night Court. All right. One of the most iconic sitcom intro songs of all time and one of the most amazing casts, including the great John Larroquette. He played an attorney named Dan Fielding. He was the um, he was a prosecutor, I think. Yeah, I think, guess so. Well, point is, he was he he had a line on a show where he met another lawyer who was very shifty, very much, you know, gave off con man vibes. And he said. I don't trust a man who has more porcelain in his mouth than my mother has in her bathroom. And I would have applied that to Charles Oliveira. But you know what, man? Chucky and his teeth, I I, I forgive him for the teeth because for all his other – if that is your only transgression, you kind of have to go easy on the guy, right? You got to show him some love. Look, Islam – is a phenomenal talent and I do kind of wish that they weren't going so weren't being so heavy-handed and trying to project him as the next could be because you're not really giving him as much breathing room to show him as himself and sort of his own personality it's a minor quibble of mine from a promotional standpoint but in terms of the actual fight as good as he is with his striking as good as he is with his wrestling and even though he does have great submission uh, abilities as well I don't think he takes it. And I think that Oliveira still has his striking. He still has the immense confidence and swagger. He is one of those dudes who's riding on this wave of peace, of, you know, of stability. It's a very earned confidence. It's a very like, no, I study these guys. I see what they do and I can do what they do. Or if I can't, I'll at least cut the corner and and, and stop them from employing what they want to do. I don't exactly think that, I I don't really feel like I can trust Makachev to the degree that he can win a five-rounder here. Oliveira, even on his back, is lethal. Standing, problematic. If he gets on top, oh, buddy, you're going to be in for a wild one. And over the course of five rounds, do I know what kind of weight cut Makachev is going to have? I don't know, man. I mean, he's not Khabib, you know, who also struggled with some weight cuts. But... I I don't know what his procedures like. I don't know that I can fully trust him to beat this guy. And and we've seen Oliveira crack some dudes that are not easy to crack. And if Makachev has been put down and been able to 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 uh, and looked vulnerable standing, you're gonna sit there and tell me you can't give Chucky a chance here on this one? Come on, man, Chucky Olives, I'm taking him.
1: Absolutely. Heck yeah. So our only pick differences is, is Victor is picking TJ Dillashaw over Aljamain Sterling and I am taking Sean Brady over Bilal Muhammad. So on that note, we're going to wrap the show. Do me a favor. Check out Victor's Twitter at Vic M Rodriguez and his amazing Instagram. That's Victor Sinister Rodriguez Check out Mookie on Twitter at Mookie Alexander and over at SB Nation's Field Goals website, where is where he is the managing editor there. So if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, that's where to go. Victor and I both work for Bloody Elbow, so you can find our work over there. The show is available on Facebook. That's Facebook.com/slash level change podcast. If you listen to the pre-recorded outro, You will find where you can listen to this show and all the other great Bloody Elbow podcast shows. So until next time, please stay safe.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Level Change Podcast, The MMA section, The 6th Round Post Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, The MMA Depressed Us, Crookland's Corner, Exclusive fighter interviews, show money, guest podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, and radio style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow blog, and as always on BloodyElbow.com.